are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good Monday show for you. We're going to talk about week zero in college football for a little bit. I don't want to, only seven games. I'm not going to dive too much into them because most of the games stunk anyway. Is the National League MVP actually still up for grabs? We thought Ronald Acuna was running away with it. I'm not so sure anymore. We'll get to those numbers. We're going to talk a lot of college football this week since we got our first week of college football games, first full week of games, which means you got to get your bets in for your college football season over under win totals. I'm going to start talking about some a few that I like. I probably won't release the ones that I'm going to bet until the end of the week. Um, and we'll talk about that. I'm also going to talk and end this with a Little League World Series because I was enthralled for the last week with these games. I watched so many Little League World Series games in this last week and uh, the tie that I have to the team that won it. And we'll get to that momentarily. All right, let's start talking college football. This past weekend was week zero. We had seven games involving FBS teams. The two ranked teams that played were 6th ranked USC and 13th ranked Notre Dame. They both played teams that they were expected to beat. Both teams beat the teams that they were playing. Wasn't really that close. However, I want to back up a second and... I'm not really sure I'm a fan of week zero. I would rather start the, you know, you can call it week zero, but give us a full slate of games. A week zero with seven games, I don't even really understand the point of it. It's like, okay, college football season is, I don't know, kind of starting. It just seems weird. If you want to start, because look, I think once we get to a 12 uh, team playoff, they might have to start starting the season earlier. And week zero might be full slate of games, just so you can have more time on the back end for teams getting rest. But we still don't know yet exactly if that's going to happen. I'm just not a fan of this week zero thing. As much as I, you know, hyped it up and talked, hey, I'm excited, college football season is starting. Once it came and went, I'm like, great, seven games and none of them were any good. Or none of them was a good matchup, should I say. There were four of them that were one score games but um i just they were not teams that I, you know i was overly invested in and probably most people weren't overly invested in them unless you went to the school and you're an alumni usc won 56 28 i just think this is going to be the same exact thing for usc when usc finally loses a game this year it's going to be because their defense couldn't stop anybody Yes, their offense is powerful. And Zachariah Branch out of Bishop Gorman, the true freshman, pretty much had his coming out party on Saturday night. Good Lord. I don't want to compare him to Reggie Bush after one game, but the speed on that kid, the punt, ret- the kickoff return for a touchdown, and the catch that he made that he ran into the end zone. He got two touchdowns in his first career game. Oh, boy. SC SC is loaded on offense, but it doesn't matter. You have to play defense in college football if you're going to win. Why do you think Georgia and Alabama win all the national championships? It's because they're really good on defense. 
And when you get a team like USC, who is all sizzle, all splash, no, you know, all style and all that, and no substance. I mean, they gave up 28 points to San Jose State at home. And you'd be like, well, it's the first game. They're working out the kinks. I can guarantee you Georgia isn't giving up 28 points in their first game. I can guarantee you Alabama's not giving up 28 points in their first game. Michigan's not giving up 28 points in their first game. And it's, you know, it's just one game and whatever. I'm just telling you, SC's not going 12-0 this year. They'll slip up to somebody, and it'll be a game where they lose 38-35 or 41-38 or 44-41 because they can't stop anybody. And it's not like I'm just picking on this team. Every team that Lincoln Riley has been a head coach of can't stop anybody on defense. Probably a top three offensive mind in college football, but he's never put out a good defense. It's why he's never won a national championship. Gives himself a chance every year. Teams are always really good. What, did he make it four times as Oklahoma's head coach? Yet, every time they got to the college football playoff, they got boat raced. Let me take you back to Joe Burrow throwing, I believe it was six first-half touchdowns against Oklahoma. Now, granted, that was the greatest offense in college football history, statistically, but you gave up six passing touchdowns in the first half of a college football semifinal game. Come on, that's embarrassing. And then what about the Rose Bowl game against Georgia? 48-45 or whatever that final was. Again, just ridiculous. So, I mean... Is Caleb Williams awesome? Yes. Is Caleb Williams going to be the first pick in the NFL draft next year? Yes. I don't buy this Drake May talk at all. In terms of, no, Drake May is good. I'm just saying nobody's taking Drake May over Caleb Williams in the draft next year. They'd be moronic too. But when SC runs the beginning of their schedule and they're playing patsies and they're playing teams they're supposed to beat and they win 56-28, they didn't cover though, um, it it doesn't impress me at all. One, they're supposed to win. And two, when they play a team like this, I want to see if their defense has improved. And clearly it hasn't. I know it's only one game. I don't want to get overly excited about their defense being horse shit again. But, I, I mean, the sample size of six, seven years of Lincoln Riley as a head coach has shown me his team's defenses stink. So a one-game sample in the 2023 season hasn't done anything to change my opinion. Notre Dame looked really good. Again, they're playing Navy, who's going to be terrible this year. So it's very tough to take out of that anything. I think the one thing you can take out of it is Sam Hartman has proven over four years at Wake Forest before transferring to Notre Dame that he can throw touchdowns. I mean, the guy's throwing, what, 119 touchdowns in his college career? I mean, he is a good quarterback. Probably the best quarterback they've had since... Gosh, Brady Quinn? I mean, they can move the ball down the field through the air and on the ground. So it's just a matter of they do have a lot of – they have about four or five tough games this year, but they now have a fighting chance because they can actually throw the ball. In the last few years, they haven't been able to move the ball consistently down the field with any sort of passing game. So um, Notre Dame could be tough. I mean, they have put it this way: if Notre Dame happens to go eleven and one or twelve and zero, they're in the college football playoff. They'll make the Final Four because they have a tough enough schedule. They still they have to play SC, they have to play Clemson, 
they have to play Ohio State and I believe Florida State. I mean, those are four top ten teams. Are they going to win all four? Probably not. They can only afford to lose one since we know that no two-loss team has ever made the four-team college football playoff. The other games were just, you know, I mean, you guys had to be a degenerate gambler to be interested in Jacksonville State, although it's Jacksonville State's first game as an FBS school. They won. They beat UTEP 17-14. UMass over New Mexico State, a little bit of an upset. UMass was a seven-point underdog. San Diego State beats Ohio. Louisiana Tech beats Florida International. Now, I will say this, for my first three-team 10-point teaser in college football, you guys are 1-0, and if you didn't do a three-team 10-point tease, you would have lost. If you did it in a parlay, you would have lost. If you had them straight, you would have went 2-1. and one. But three-team 10-point tease, hell, even if you did a six- or seven-point tease, you would have won because SC won by 28, and they were laying 30. I said, tease SC down to 20, tease Notre Dame down to 10, and go under in San Diego State, Ohio, and that game had 33 total points, and the total was 49. And I was telling you to tease it up to 59 and go under. So you went way under. And Notre Dame game, you pretty much knew it was a name-your-score game about halfway through the first quarter. <laughs> that was that game wasn't close. You knew Navy couldn't even be on the field with them. So as we get to the end of this week, I'll always have a three-team three 10-point teaser in college. Uh, next week, I will give you a... Three-team three, point, three 10-point teaser in college and pro on Fridays. And then I'll give you who I like the most. I'll give you like one play. Because I can sit here and tell you all these games that I like, overs, unders, what favorite I like, what dogs I like. I mean, you know, you got you got 40, 45 games on the college football schedule this Saturday. I'm going to give you a few that I'm leaning towards. But there'll always be one pick that I say, this is the pick that I'm going with as – and we'll keep track of my record – on my Friday picks uh, for those particular games. And I'll have a three-team 10-point teaser, which I am now 1-0 on. And I'm not telling you to bet the house on it. I'm not telling you to not pay your credit cards <laughs> and bet what I tell you to bet. We'll keep it going. I'm going to put it out every week, even if I'm doing terrible. I'll probably just make fun of myself for being so shitty at picking games. But a good start, 1-0 on USC, Notre Dame, and the San Diego State under. So we'll keep it going, and hopefully I'll have another three-team 10-point teaser winner for you and a best bet winner for you this week. That's what we'll just call them, best bets. How about that? Nobody in the handicapping industry calls them best bets, right? <laughs> anyway. Now, I will say this. I did not have any of the teams, any of the 14 teams that played this past weekend. You can't bet their season over under win total unless you have certain books that will adjust it after every week. Very few do that, but there are some out there. So none of these teams I was really interested in betting their win total over under this year. I I wasn't and the only two that would even think about it would be SC or Notre Dame. I wasn't really looking into, you know, diving into San Diego State's over under win total this year. And it's not like I only bet big name schools and their over unders. I just that that's where I'll probably be focusing on for for the most part. But there will be some mid-major schools in there for sure. Because, face it, most of the big teams is what, if people are going to bet season win totals, they're going to focus on teams in the Power 5 conferences. So there's a few that I'm looking at right now. I need to still do a little more homework this week and dive into their schedules. But none of the seven that were playing this past weekend I was interested in. So no worries, you didn't miss out on anything there. But I will definitely give you a few. I'm 
you know, I, I told you one of the biggest question marks that we've ever had in the history of college football heading into a season is Colorado because we've never seen this type of turnover before. 71 players have left the Colorado football program since the end of last year. Deion Sanders has brought in 53 new players. Like, nobody has a fucking clue. And if you tell me you do, you have no idea. You're just guessing. Nobody really has a clue on what to expect from Colorado this year. Is this a two-win team? Is this a five-win team? Is it an eight-win team? We just don't know because none of these players have played together. So it's like, unless you're literally scouting all their practices, you you have no idea what this team's going to be like. This Saturday, they take on TCU. They're already 20-point dogs in their first game. They have Nebraska at home in week two, so that's not a – and then a Colorado State in week three. Most people think they're going to lose to TCU in Nebraska and beat Colorado State, and then they start the gauntlet of the Pac-12. And if you beat Colorado State, you need to win three Pac-12 games. I'll tell you this. I don't know if it's going to be my best bet on college football win totals, but I'm going over. I'm going over three and a half wins for Colorado, which is right now at plus 18. Again, they don't need to go six and they don't even need to play 500 ball this year. They can go four and eight and I'm going to win my bet. I think they beat Colorado State in non-conference. I think they can pull off an upset of TCU or Nebraska. I just think Dion is that good, and Dion is going to win at Colorado. Whether or not he wins right away is a different story. But 4-8 and eight at Colorado, well, last year they were 1-11. So that's a huge improvement if they win four games. And I know that they have a very tough Pac-12 conference schedule, but I don't expect them to beat S. I'm not saying they're going to beat SC. I'm not saying they're going to beat Oregon, but when they get those Arizonas and Washington States and Arizona States, which I believe they play, I mean, they play Oregon, they play SC, they play UCLA, and they play Oregon State and Utah. Do I think they can beat any of them? No. So that's 0-5. And if they lose their first two games to TCU and Nebraska, that's a, that's seven losses, and they beat Colorado State, that's 1-7. So they would have to win three of the other four games, which are at ASU, home against Stanford, home against Oregon State, home against Arizona. I think they can beat – I mean, to sit here and say by week seven they can't beat Stanford, because even if they don't look good in weeks one and week two, they're going to improve as the season goes on. They have more talent on this team than they did last year that went 1-11 and was legitimately the worst – team of any power five team in college football but i think they keep it close against tcu i'm looking to take the 20 points as of right now my mind could be changed but or i might just stay away like i'm either taking colorado or i'm staying away it's not like i have to bet the game nebraska at home when has nebraska ever caught on the road and played well against a good opponent out of conference i'm talking about in recent year nebraska they have a new coach. They have a new system. So I, that game's a toss-up to me. I, I really like over three and a half for Colorado. Hey, if they go fucking two and ten, I'll, I'll eat crow. But I think they can go four and eight. They don't have to win in ten games 
It's not like Dion has to come in and do a miracle right away. He could go four and eight this year, and then maybe next year they go six and six or seven and five, and then they're just improving. I think he turns this program around. I'm just I'm a I'm a big believer. And I could have egg on my face and be dead wrong when this is all said and done, but I don't think so. And then the other one I'm really looking at for college football, I'm kind of leaning toward the Texas under. I know Longhorn fans that you're probably all up in arms and your burnt orange scarf, you're probably just chucked it across the room. But I hate to tell you this, the facts are the facts. Texas has gone under its season opening win total 11 of the last 12 years. Right now they're sitting at nine and a half. And you got to play Alabama in week two. All right, let's call that a loss. You telling me Texas, who perennially disappoints, is only losing one other game the rest of the year? I tell you right now, I'm taking the Texas under. How much for? Is it going to be my top bet? And the Texas under is plus 130. You're getting plus money. I could see them going nine and three. It doesn't mean they ha- like. I'm not saying Texas is going seven and five. I'm not even saying they're going eight and four. I think Texas can go nine and three. But if you bet the under, you win your bet because they're nine and a half is their total. So those are two that I'm looking at right now. I'm liking the Colorado over three and a half, and I'm liking Texas under nine and a half. Which one becomes my ultimate? In fact, on win totals, I don't even know if I'm going to do a like. Here's the one that I want you to bet. I'm just going to give you the ones that I like. There, I've given you two. I'll probably have some more by the end of the week. Let's move on to baseball. And one of the best writers of professional baseball online is Jeff Passan, works for ESPN, always has some good statistics. And I think about a month ago, it was just a runaway that Ronald Acuna Jr. was going to win the MVP. His numbers were just out of this world. Well, I don't want to say he's come back to the pack but if you look at some of these numbers he has if you can I mean right now Jeff Passan says it's a three-person race between Betts Acuna and Freddie Freeman the problem with Betts and Freeman is they're on the same team and they might split votes but then again the only other person that could possibly be in the MVP vote is Matt Olson who's on Acuna's team and they might split votes But Mookie Betts heading into this weekend, and I know he increased his batting average because it seemed like he had double-digit hits in every game in the Red Sox against the Red Sox this weekend. Heading into this weekend, Mookie Betts was hitting 310 with an on-base, with an OPS of 605 with 34 home runs and 89 RBIs. Ronald Acuna, better average, 339, but had six less home runs and 15 less RBIs and was hitting 50 points less in OPS, 568. Freddie Freeman, 336 average, 23 home runs, 11 home runs less than Mookie Betts, and four RBIs less. I mean, this is a three-horse race now. I don't think this is an Acuna runaway. Yes, he's probably going to do 46. Uh, he's going to do 30-60, which has never been done in baseball history. But Mookie Betts is playing out of his mind right now. And I, I don't – it's like you can't go wrong with any of the three. But will it probably hurt that some people might vote Freeman and Betts and they might steal each other's votes? Very possible. But let's just keep an open mind now because a month ago, 
I was all in the Acuna camp, and I'm like, this is what this kid is doing. He's kind of slowed down. Even though he's played every game, it's not like he's playing poorly, but Betts and Freeman have stepped up their game. And their statistics, outside of batting average and runs scored, I mean, look at runs scored, Mookie Betts 105, Acuna 113, Freddie Freeman 104. It's not like Ronald Acuna is running away with the run scored category. He's got eight more than Betts and nine more than Freeman. If we're going off war, Mookie Betts has a better war than the other two. 6.9 to 6.4 for Acuna, 5.5 for Freeman. I mean, it. being a Dodger fan, obviously if I had a vote right now, I'd vote Mookie Betts. But that's me being biased. <laughs> Sorry about that. And finally, I want to talk a little Little League World Series because I really got into it this last week. And I got into it because El Segundo represented the state of California and they made it to the finals against Curacao. And while I never lived in El Segundo, I lived in the city right next to it that bordered it in Westchester, California, right after college and hung out in El Segundo numerous times played golf at El Segundo, the lakes course, and had movie theater. I went to the movies in El Segundo at the Pacific Theaters in El Segundo numerous times. There's an Olive Garden. Well, I guess that's technically Manhattan Beach. Turns into Manhattan Beach, but it's right on the border of uh, El Segundo and Manhattan Beach. Um, That Olive Garden right there off Rosecrans, Sepulveda, and uh, I believe it's Rosecrans. You know what I'm talking about. Um, just, I have ties to El Segundo. So seeing that they had made it to the Little League World Series, I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch them. And then I watched these kids play, and I was like, wow, they're really good. And I don't know if you saw the game yesterday. Maybe you don't even care about Little League Baseball, but it was really fucking cool because they were cruising. It was 5-1. to one. They only play six-inning games. It was 5-1 to one in the fifth inning. Curacao loads the bases with two outs. They bring in a new pitcher for El Segundo, and he gave up a grand slam. And it was now 5-5. And then they went to the bottom of the sixth inning. El Segundo was the home team. They go to the bottom of the sixth inning, and the best player that I saw in the Little League World Series this week, his name's Louis Lappy, hits a leadoff home run in the bottom of the sixth inning, and it's a walk-off. And... El Segundo wins the Little League World Series. It was really cool because you got to remember, I don't know at what date it started, but to get to Williamsport, Pennsylvania, to play in the Little League World Series, there's so many different tournaments you have to win, whether it's, you know, city and then regional and sectional and all this stuff. And then I don't even know the names. They, they ran it down on ESPN when they were going over on the broadcast and they were saying, just to get to Williamsport, how many different tournaments you had to win. And I don't know when it started, and I don't know how many games were in each tournament, but it seemed like you probably had to win five to seven games to get out of each division, section, regional, regional final, all this stuff. So I got to imagine these kids have been playing since June together, and then they finally get here and they did that, and then to win it in the bottom of the ninth on a walk-off home run, and look, we don't we don't know what's going to happen to these kids. I don't know the work ethic of these kids. It's 12 and under. But Lewis Lappy 
was the best hitter on the team. He hit five home runs during the Little League World Series, and he was also the best pitcher. And it's very early. The kid's 12 years old, unless he was an 11-year-old and playing and, and just that dominant. But he's he's somebody that his name I'm not going to forget because Lewis Lappy is just a really cool name. But I'm really curious to see in 10 years where Lewis Lappy is because this kid was so good. Now, he could go off the rails, and I'm not saying, like, get into drugs or anything, but maybe he plays another sport. Maybe he does something completely different. I I tend to think he's going to at least play high school baseball and be pretty dominant just based on what I saw. I just, this kid has it. And then I'm wondering, okay, high school baseball, we've seen plenty of good high school baseball players. And then where does he go to college? So I'm not going to sit here and say I'm going to stalk this kid, but I'm definitely going to follow him. I'm going to follow the kid's name two or three years, check in where, because he's, you know, he's two years away from even being a freshman in high school. So I'm curious to where he's going to go to high school. Maybe he's going to go to Manhattan Beach High School. Maybe he's going to go to El Segundo High. I don't know. Maybe the family might move and go somewhere. Maybe he won't even go to and play high school ball. Maybe he'll just play travel ball. I don't know. But the talent I saw on that kid would be really interesting to see 10 years from now when he's 22. Is he drafted? Did he go to college for all four years? How good was he? I mean, he could end up just being a really good 12-year-old and then just lose interest in baseball for all I know. But I'm just saying the Little League World Series has produced a lot of good major leaguers that talk about their experience. And if you hit a home run to win the Little League World Series in the bottom of the sixth inning, something tells me he's just not going to give up baseball like next year and just be like, yeah, it's whatever. Because he's so good. So congratulations to El Segundo's baseball team, to Lewis Lappy for that thing, that home run that he'll never forget his whole life. I mean, my God, if that kid never played another game of baseballs in the rest of his life, what happened yesterday in the bottom of the sixth inning is something you'll never forget, and I think that's really cool. So just going to keep an eye on him. It's a name I'm not going to forget for sure. Thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. Please follow me on Apple Podcasts. Also, rate and review if you can. Please tell anybody about the podcast. I'd really appreciate it. It certainly helps the podcast. And we're back tomorrow again with yet another Sports Daily. So thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you.